Hello, welcome everyone. Happy, <laughs> happy Easter. Uh, We're glad that you're here, whether you're online or in person, whether you're part of our church or you're new and exploring today, or uh, you know, whether you chose to be here or you're dragged here by your grandma. Uh, we are glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, even though you might not be. I am, so thank you. Um, I'm honored to speak to you today. It's, uh, yeah, a little nerve-wracking, honestly. I preach every few months, so this isn't quite my first rodeo, but for some reason, Pastor Marlow, our lead pastor, has trusted me to preach on Easter, which is a pretty big Sunday, as you might know. So, um, you know, if you're around church, kind of just around Easter or Christmas, I might be the youngest person you've seen preach by a long shot. So I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I guess we'll see. You can let me know after. Please only let me know if it was a good thing. Um, so, yeah. Um, and yeah, again, if you're new today, my name's Brennan. Welcome. I'm the worship and young adults pastor here at Eaglemont. So let's get into the sermon. Okay. Again, it's Easter. Probably you probably know that. I'm guessing. And you know, although Christmas is usually a bigger celebration in the Western world in general, it's actually Easter that is of greater importance to Christians. And it's historically through Christian tradition has been uh, the greatest celebration. And as one author of some of the books of the Bible says, as Pastor Marlowe said in the welcome. Um, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So it is the Easter story that gives the Christmas story true value. And I don't know what Easter brings to mind for some of you. Maybe it's tied to thoughts of spring and, you know, new life. And yeah, spring is great unless you're like me and, you know, you have bad seasonal allergies and can't go outside without sneezing every five seconds. So you just admire spring from indoors, the safe indoors. Um, you know, but at least summer's coming, and uh, spring is great when it's not snowing on Easter. Um, but, I, you know, we know what we signed up for living in Edmonton. So maybe some of you think of the Easter bunny or, like, Easter egg hunts, and maybe those are good memories for you. Uh, but for me, those memories are a little soured, honestly. Um, Easter egg hunt memories are under this dark cloud of every year losing to my overly competitive sister. Uh, I'm not going to name any names. If you know my family, you could probably figure it out. No shade. I love my family. love my sisters. They're great. Uh, but my, my one sister is just a hair overly competitive. Like, just a, a hair. Okay, like a really thick hair, overly competitive. A really thick hair, overly competitive. That's what I'll say. And by that, I mean she's the most competitive person I've ever met. And, you know, um, not only was she overly competitive, she loved candy. And I love candy, too. But... I, you know, maybe not as much as she did, unless I just thought that because maybe she was being competitive about loving candy the most. Um, but those two things made her a very fierce opponent, okay? And uh, this Easter egg hunt tradition also went on for, for way too long, like till we were too old. I'm not going to say how old we were because it's embarrassing. I was the youngest, so it's less embarrassing for me. But for years, I was just like, to my, you know, I was just like, just give me candy. I don't want to have to fight for it. I just want to enjoy the things of life with having, without having to struggle for them. Life is painful enough. Why are you making it harder? That was me at eight years old to my parents. And um, yeah, but my sister loved winning so much that she just kept getting my parents to do these Easter egg hunts. So I was forced to fend for myself in the trenches of the battlefield. That was the Jenkins Easter egg hunts. And uh, yeah, those are some dark days. I never won a single Easter egg hunt, and that still haunts me to this day. But luckily, I was very blessed to grow up in a Christian home. Um, so, you know, even if my Easter egg basket was low, I could still find hope in the story of Easter. And that's why we're here today. For all those Easter egg hunt losers out there, that Easter maybe isn't the best, isn't the best of time. But this is for you. And also, it's for everyone. So even if you won, even if you won those. Okay, let's get to the Bible. 
I'll give you a, a quick explanation of the story of the Bible and the story of Jesus, the story that we celebrate on Easter, and what led to that moment in history, okay? And that backstory might seem a, a little excessive, but the whole Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus. So I'm going to give you the backstory to understand why the story of Easter happened and what it meant. Okay, and for those of you who may be, you know, skeptical of the Bible, you don't think you believe in God or Jesus, you know, even just as an exercise of imagination, I want to encourage you to um, just ask yourself, you know, what if, and come along for the journey to discover who Jesus was. So the Bible is broken up into two sections. We have the Old Testament, which is all the books from the creation story up to just before the time of Jesus, and it's about two-thirds of the Bible. Then the second part is the New Testament, which starts at the birth of Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, with four different accounts of the story of Jesus called the Gospels, meaning good news. Okay, and then it finishes with telling the story of the start of the church and the spread of that good news, and then has just like a bunch of letters written to different churches in the area as they spread out and share the good news. The good news. So let's quickly look at the story of the Bible from the beginning because this is the context for understanding why Jesus came to earth. So this will be a quick summary of the overarching story of the Old Testament, uh, and then we'll be talking about Jesus for the majority of our time here. So the first three chapters uh, are really what I want to touch on. The first three chapters of the Bible are um, really the most important. They set the stage for the rest of the Bible. They are you know, incredibly important chapters. So these chapters tell the story of creation, how God has uh, the power over this chaos, and out of it he creates the universe, and of course in that earth and all that's in the earth, and it's this perfect paradise. And then we're told God creates humanity, you know, different than the other animals. We are told that God creates them in his image, which one, you know, gives value to every human. Uh, and it's not that, you know, we look like God or God looks like us, um, but that he created us to be like him and to represent him. And uh, compared to animals, God has given us you know, a greater mind, more like his deeper emotions, creativity, imagination, and also what it means to have the image of God is to be made to have the ability to rule over earth on God's behalf. So humanity at its best, why it was created by God, um, was to represent God on earth. And that was the role originally for humanity. And God made humans with the purpose. To be human is to live as the image of God. But in this creation story, we of course see the fall of humanity um, they have a choice to partner with God and trust in his knowledge of good and evil and live in, the way, um, live in this way, which would lead to life and human flourishing. But instead, with some added temptation from the devil, they choose to seize power and to find good and evil on their own. And through that, humanity's relationship with God is broken, and so is the ability to live in this perfect garden paradise that God created. And this idea is the reason for the broken world that we live in now. It's the reason for sin, evil, pain, and suffering. But to sum up the rest of the Old Testament very quickly, this creation story is just a repeated theme throughout the Old Testament. God provides something good and a way that leads to a better life for humans or specifically for God's chosen people at the time, the Israelites. And usually some time is spent in this way and they follow God for a bit and it leads to a better life. And then they see something they want, and they choose to do what they think is best, and it leads to just another fall from grace. Okay, and it brings with it major consequences, and then that is just repeated over and over and over again. And also throughout this story of the Old Testament, there's these prophecies of a Messiah, which means Savior. You know, it's supposed to come from a certain family line, someone that will come and will actually rescue humanity, someone that will actually resist the temptation and follow God's way. 
trusting his version of good and evil. But every time we think that someone might be this savior, this um, Messiah, someone who will finally bring about God's kingdom on earth, they fall to temptation. They do something terrible. And again, this cycle just repeats. Then the Old Testament ends. And that story and that savior never comes. Okay, now for the New Testament, we pick up about four or five centuries later and we are introduced to Jesus through these four gospel accounts of his life. We're told about his miraculous birth, uh, which we celebrate at Christmas. Then he, he grows up, and at the beginning of his three years um, of preaching and miracles before his death, he goes out into the wilderness and is tested and confronted by the devil. And here, unlike every king or leader of God's people in the past, or every human in the past, Jesus resists the temptation to go against God's version of good and evil and take what he wants for his own way. So here, Jesus is finally breaking the pattern of humanity's failure that was started in the beginning. He's proving himself to be the Messiah. And then he begins announcing that the kingdom of God has come through him. Now, now whatever um, people were expecting for a savior, it, it wasn't Jesus. Okay, they were expecting a military leader that would come and become a king, like a literal king bringing a physical kingdom for God's people. They thought this Messiah, this Savior, would overthrow uh, the nation that they were captive in, which was Rome at the time. They thought they would bring justice and peace through liberating God's people from captivity. But Jesus didn't do any of that. And also, they didn't, they didn't expect um, or even consider that the Messiah would be God in human form. But there was Jesus saying these things. So Jesus was, you know, began traveling around performing miracles, uh, which do a few things. For one, it just, again, shows his love and care for the people that were hurting and, um, you know, marginalized and poor. So uh, also these miracles validate his claims that he was God, as no human could do these things, at least, you know, if God, at least they couldn't do these things if God wasn't using them. Also, these miracles were reversing the effects of humanity's sin from the beginning creation narrative, from the beginning few chapters. Jesus was healing people, providing food for people, taking care of the sick, the poor, the marginalized. He was loving the sinners of the world. So Jesus goes around creating justice and peace in people's lives. And he's also reversing the fall of humanity by forgiving people's sins, healing not only physical problems, but ones of the heart and of the soul. And along with these miracles, Jesus went around preaching, teaching, and showing that the true way to be human, the real way to rule and to be God's image in the world is to serve others. Jesus taught that loving and serving the poor and the people on the outskirts of society, you know, acting in humility and loving your enemies, that's what it means to rule on earth, to have real power. He started creating this upside-down kingdom of heaven on earth where he was saying, you know, like, the first will be last, and the last will be first, and the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are those who give their lives for others, and those who serve others humbly. Jesus's way of life uh, was not, you know, not for the purpose of life after death, even though that was there, but he was much more focused on God's kingdom here and now on earth, and what it means to live out this new way to be human and to create a more beautiful reality for others. I love this quote from a book that I, I read, like one chapter. I just got it, so um, it, this is early in it, but I liked it. Um, this, this book's called The Genius of Jesus, and it says, uh, author says, Einstein saw a new way to do math. Fisher saw a new way to play chess. Jesus saw a new way to be human, a way to live each moment fully 
present, and fully alive. Imagine if your every choice and every action only and always created the good and the beautiful and the true. The genius of Jesus is that he teaches us how to be human again. So Jesus' teachings in life were, were beautiful and amazing. Um, you know, through the Gospels, we see this amazing life full of love for others. But then came Jesus' death. Jesus died a criminal's death, even though he was, a, he was an innocent man, absolutely sinless and perfect. He, he resisted that temptation to sin and go against God. But the Jewish leaders saw him as a threat to their power. They saw him as a false prophet turning the whole Jewish faith upside down. So they had Jesus killed. A, a very painful death on what is still one of the worst torture devices ever made. It's the cross. But this was God's plan all along. Okay, and Jesus made that sacrifice for us. He knew it was coming. And then, though, a few days later, Jesus was raised to life, defeating the power of death. And that is the Easter story. That part is why we are here celebrating Easter today, celebrating Jesus' resurrection on the third day, because we believe that it changed everything. So, you know, we need to understand, why did Jesus die for us? Why did he do that? And why is it good news? Well, now, first of all, First off, Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection are tied together. Okay, they are two parts of one story, one beautiful gift from God, one of a sacrifice and of victory. If, if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, um, I honestly don't know if we would ever know who he was. Like, he wasn't a military leader that maybe would be in a historical story. He wasn't a king or a ruler that had any coins or artifacts that were made in his likeness that would be dug up later. He was just a homeless, wandering teacher. And yeah, he performed miracles and caused a stir in the Jewish world. But, you know, if he would have just stayed dead, I, I think that's it. His followers would have probably dwindled away within maybe a few decades at most. You know how I said earlier that no one expected Jesus the way that he was? Well, also, no one expected Jesus to rise from the dead. Looking back at the Old Testament, you know, we can see prophecies about a resurrection that Jesus points to, and his disciples put the pieces together after he was raised to life. But when Jesus died, his disciples and his followers, they thought it was, they thought it was over. They, they really did. They lost hope. They weren't there waiting on the third day for him to come back to life. Jesus' own closest friends and disciples did not understand that this had to happen, and they did not expect a resurrection to happen. The Bible tells us that every single one doubted they weren't the first to see Jesus. There was a, a group of women that saw him first, and they told the disciples, um, and they didn't believe. And later, one disciple was the last person to see Jesus alive, and even though the other 10 disciples, who he was with for like three years straight, told him Jesus is alive, and they saw him, he refused to believe until Jesus showed up in front of him. So it, it, yeah, if you doubt the resurrection, you're in good company with Jesus' closest friends. Guess what? Like ancient people also believe that people stayed dead. That is not an original thought of the modern world. We haven't recently discovered that with science or through the Enlightenment. Everyone always thought that that is how things go. So some of, some of the disciples, they went back to fishing. They went back to their old job because they thought this Jesus thing was over. Again, they thought he would bring a real physical kingdom of God. And then he died. So they thought it was done. They gave up. See, I believe in the resurrection actually for uh, a lot of reasons, but one is the impact that Jesus had on this world, I believe, would only be possible. It would only make sense if he was who he said he was, and then if he did, in fact, rise from the dead. 
If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, his disciples and followers would not have risked their lives, their entire lives, given up their lives, as we see in the rest of the Bible after the stories of Jesus, given up their lives, faced jails, faced jail, persecution, beatings, and ultimately death for most of them for someone who claimed to be God and then died. Or they wouldn't do all of that for a lie that they made up. That just doesn't make sense. They would not stop claiming Jesus was alive. And even though they faced major consequences, they would not stop saying that. If Jesus would have stayed dead, they, you know, maybe, you know, you'd still follow some of his good teachings, but probably just in the quietness of your daily life. Because what good is it to devote your life to someone's teaching if they're proven to be fake? His followers knew this. As I, as I quoted, as we quoted uh, earlier, Paul, who's the, who's the writer of some of the New Testament books, which for him, those books were just letters to the churches that he was writing. Um, he wrote this to the Christians in Corinth. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So if they were not convinced 100% that Jesus was resurrected, they just would not have had this faith. They would not be preaching and teaching the story of Jesus. Now, something to note. Um, the Old Testament was written, you know, over a period of over a thousand years. It spans a long historical time. The New Testament was all written within a period of about 50 years. Okay, so all the New Testament letters and the four Gospels of Jesus were all written within the time when eyewitnesses of Jesus were alive. Obviously, with the later books, there's less and less of those people around, but they were still around. And a good number of books were written by eyewitnesses of Jesus as well. The, the last book of the Bible was written about 95 AD, so 60 to 65 years um, after Jesus' death. Average life expectancy was like, you know, pretty young. It was 35, but that was due to high infant mortality. So um, it wasn't unheard of, though, for people to live to a pretty old age. As a famous example, uh, the Roman ruler of Jesus' time, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, lived to live till he was 77. And there was also um, historical examples of people around this time uh, living to or even slightly past 100, which I was very surprised to hear. I guess just like very lucky people that never got sick. Um, you just keep going. Imagine like all your friends are dead 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> That's sad. Sorry to make that dark. But you know, modern science is nice and now you'll still have friends when you're old. Um, but anyway, all that to say, there would have been eyewitnesses or even relatives and sons of daughters of eyewitnesses of Jesus during the time of all the writings of the New Testament books. And all these people could confirm the stories that they were preaching, that they were telling them. Um, which adds some validity to the opposite end, to the point that if the Bible was lying about Jesus, there would be lots of people who could speak up and say, no, that didn't happen. And then the story of Jesus would likely just not go anywhere. Or at least it would not have the traction that it did. It spread rapidly through the ancient world. And, you know, if they wanted to fabricate this story of Jesus, you wait until all the eyewitnesses are dead. Or you start not within the city that he died and rose again. You go far away and lie to those people. But that's not what happened. And the writers of the Gospels actually do something pretty unique for uh, historical narrative books by including, like, specific people um, in the stories of Jesus. Like, many times it mentions, you know, this person from this place. Almost as if to say, if you want, go ask them. You know, go ask them what they saw. Go ask what Jesus did for them. You know, the miracles, the healings, or, you know, what he said. Go ask. 
And Paul does the same thing a few verses uh, before the one that we just read. He's arguing for the validity and the importance of Jesus' resurrection. And he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, that he, uh, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who was, that was Peter, a disciple of Jesus. Cephas was his name in Aramaic. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters, meaning followers of Jesus, at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. It's like Paul saying, again, like, if you don't believe me, ask around. Find these people that saw Jesus. Most of them are still living. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, shown himself to his disciples, some other followers of Jesus, and then according to Paul, shown himself to 500 people at once, the story of Jesus would just not have spread out into the world like it did. And it would have just probably died not long after. And yeah, maybe there would be some Jewish historians that would have known about him, this guy that caused a little bit of a stir, but then he died. You know, but then there's also a chance that his story would have just been lost to time completely and we would never know the name of Jesus. And you might think, well, like, we know of other world religions, right? People started those, like Muhammad or Buddha. Yes, but what they taught and started did not hinge on them being the savior of the world. Jesus' teachings did. He told people that the kingdom of God was happening. He made it clear he was God's chosen one to save the world. He made it clear that he and God the Father were one. Okay, and that, and that is all not true if Jesus stayed dead. He would have been labeled a false prophet. And it is only after he was raised from the dead that his disciples realized what Jesus had done and who he was. That he made it possible for the kingdom of God to happen, not as a physical kingdom like they were expecting, not a nation that people thought would happen, but a spiritual kingdom. Open to everyone, not just Jewish people. After Jesus' death, they realized he was not a savior because he freed a nation from captivity, but that he saved people's hearts and freed them from sin and death. It was really so much more than people could have imagined. And, you know, of course, we here, the people of this church, we believe that Jesus' death and resurrection really happened and it changed the world. So why the resurrection? What happened during that? Why was that God's plan? Well, there's a lot we could talk about of what was happening at the cross, what happened at the resurrection, but everything that Jesus did is summed up within the, probably the most famous Bible verse, John 3, 16 to 17 where Jesus says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Okay, and what is translated to eternal life in our English translations? More maybe should be translated, but like directly translates to life unto the age. But of course, what does that mean? You know, so eternal life, actually, we know what that means. But life unto the age is a more direct translation. Um, and what Jesus was saying here was that he offered a new life. And yes, it, it is eternal because you enter in to the new life that Jesus had and that carries on past this life. But this new life has an effect here and now. It is a life lived differently on earth through the power of God. This new life is a relationship with Jesus that changes us. He forgives our sin, washes us clean, changes our hearts and reverses the effects of sin and molds us into the image of Jesus, a person of perfect joy, peace, and love. 
Jesus later says in the same book, uh, the Gospel of John, John 17, 3, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Uh, no, Jesus, eternal life is living forever. Again, life into the age. It, it is more than we can read on the surface level. Um, it is more of a promise of a renewed life now. There's, there'll always be a couple things like that in English translations. It's not easy to take an ancient, dead language and change that to a very different modern one. But let's go back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, have this life into the age. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. When we are looking at the cross and the resurrection, it's all framed within this verse. It is all framed within God's love, within a sacrifice and his eternal life, or this life into the age that is given to all who just believe. So why can we have this new life? Well, it's because God gave his son. Because God loves you. And Jesus died in our place as a sacrifice for us. And in that moment, he took all the evil, the sin, the wrongdoings that, that people on earth have committed and will commit, my sin, my wrongdoings, and he paid the price for it. He paid the price for it. Jesus on the cross was reversing the original creation story where we were separated from God because of our mistakes, but because of what Jesus did, our sin can be forgiven. And we are absolutely washed clean, made whole before God, which allows us to have a relationship with him. Jesus continues to reverse the effects because sin and death were consequences of humanity's decision to go against God. And then in the resurrection, Jesus overcame those consequences, the power of sin and death. So why does the resurrection matter? Because it means that death is not the end. It showed Jesus' power to defeat death and sin, and it proves to us that Jesus' claims were true and that he really was God in human form, the Son of God. And now, why we celebrate Easter, why we're here today, is because there's a hope for the world, after all. There's a hope for humanity, and that's found in an empty grave. This is a vision of the future. It shows that Jesus had power over death itself, that he had power over sin and the effect of sin, which was death. And now he's creating a new future. It's, it's partially here, but one day everything will be made new. There'll be no more evil, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more viruses, no more corrupt world leaders, no more war, just heaven completely overlapped with earth in a new creation. And that is the hope of the world. That's the hope that we have. That is what the empty grave is pointing us towards, towards a life that is to come, a new life now. Now, we don't, of course, we don't ignore this life. We value this life, and we are called to serve Jesus here and now. But our hope doesn't come from anything in this world. Anything in this world can let us down. But Jesus won't. That hope of the world stays. And that means that what that means for us now is that no matter what we face in this life, no matter the pain, no matter the suffering, sin and death don't have the final say for us. So how do we get this new life and hope for the future? Well, again, what does John 3.16 say? Jesus says, so that everyone who believes in him. That's it. You don't have to earn your salvation. New life is just offered to you. And that really changes you. That really changes us. Walking the way of Jesus, living that relationship, really changes you into a new way to be human that Jesus showed us. And this is the good news because you don't have to work for it. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to have your life all together. You just accept the gift. 
pretty much every other religion, you know, it will tell you what you need to do to be good enough, what you need to do to be saved, to, to get to an afterlife. And it's just a burden. Jesus doesn't do that because we could never be perfect. But Jesus lived the perfect life for us and then died in our place. So he gives us that new life because we couldn't earn it ourselves. And it really is the good news. And Jesus really is someone worth following in every day of our lives. See, the cross was the punishment. The cross was the forgiveness. The cross was paving the way to God. And then the empty tomb is the new life. The empty tomb is the victory. The empty tomb is the hope in the future. And they are both just a free gift to us because God loves us. That's the good news of Easter. The gospel means good news, and the gospel of Jesus is exactly that. And, you know, after two years of nothing but bad news, I think we need some good news. And there's no greater news than this, that Jesus is alive. So, if you want to accept Jesus today, I actually wholeheartedly believe that there's nothing better, no better decision that you could make. But accepting Jesus is not just something, you know, you do once, and then you go about your life, and you're set, and that's the end of that. Accepting Jesus means you're choosing to follow him, choosing to commit to know him, to become like him a little bit at a time, and choose to commit to doing what Jesus did. Now, no one is expecting you to change your entire life in an instant when you accept Jesus. Sometimes God does change people drastically in a moment, and it's beautiful. But most of us, for most of the time, for most of us, it's just a lifelong journey of step by step, bit by bit being with God and inching our way closer to Jesus and becoming more like him. So don't, if you want to make this decision, don't feel like you need to figure everything out first. You know, you can have doubts. You can have questions. We encourage, we encourage that. It's okay. You know, that's good. It's what it means to be human. You can figure things out along the way. All you need to do is to believe that there's one God, that he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus died rose again for you, and now he offers that new life to you. All you have to do is believe. There's nothing else. That is the core. And if you believe that, you can come to Jesus and accept him, and he'll be with you always. And then our goal is to just, for the rest of our lives, to just be with Jesus and to be more like him every day. That's our goal. So just, you know, come as you are, and then grow from there, one step at a time, with Jesus, with this church. And if you wanted to make that if you want to make that decision, there's no better time than now because Jesus wants to know you right now exactly as you are because he loves you. So if you wanted to start that relationship with Jesus, you can do that and you can pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you for taking the punishment for my sin and for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the grave for me and giving me this new life and a hope for the future for giving me this relationship with you. And Jesus, I accept this relationship. I accept your forgiveness. I accept you into my life, and I commit to living for you and letting you be the king of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for this new life here and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If you made that decision, there's nothing that we'd be happier to hear. Um, so please let us know. We'd be excited to hear from you and Following Jesus is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in a community, which is why we meet together here in this church. So connect with us, and uh, yeah, we'll get you a Bible. We'll get you, um, we'll help you figure out this new relationship with Jesus, and you can fill out the I'm new card that you'll find in the seat pocket in front of you, and then you can drop it off at that brown uh, welcome center on your way out, 
And if you're online, or if you just want to do it online, you can go to eaglemont.info and find the I'm new button. And you can fill that form out online. Just let us know if you made that decision today. Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, being here today and listening to me preach. I hope you go with the good news of Jesus in your heart today. Thank you. Happy Easter.